You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 127 by Rudolf Steiner, translated by Matthew Barton, 16 Lectures, entitled The Mission of the New Spirit Revelation, The Pivotal Nature of the Christ Event in Earth Evolution. This is Lecture 9, entitled The Importance of Spiritual Inquiry for Moral Action, given in Bielefeld on the 6th of March, 1911. The accusation is often made that anthroposophy basically does not address the moral realm directly, and even that, in some of its teachings, it not only does not oppose egoism, but cultivates it. Those who think this put it roughly as follows. Anthroposophy teaches, they say, how a person develops through recurring lives, and whatever setbacks may occur, the principal thing is that people can evolve to ever higher stages that they can use the fruits of whatever they learn in one life, as in a school, in a following life. Those who are wedded to this belief in people's capacity to perfect themselves will always strive to enhance and purify their I, capital, to enrich it as far as possible, and thus to ascend to ever loftier heights. And so, say such opponents, this is really very egoistical. We anthroposophists seek to draw from the world of spirit teachings and powers that help raise our being to greater heights, and thus our motive is egoistic. Such people also say that we anthroposophists are convinced that imperfect actions will lead to bad karma, and that to evade this we avoid doing certain things we might otherwise have done. In other words, our actions or inactions are driven by fear of bad karma, and all this appears as egoistic motivations. Some say that teachings of karma and reincarnation and all other striving for perfection arising from anthroposophy lead people to seek a kind of refined or higher egoism. It would actually be a grave reproach if it could be said that anthroposophy induces people to act morally not through empathy and compassion, but primarily out of fear of punishment. Let us ask ourselves if such a reproach has any justification. Here we must engage very deeply with esoteric inquiry if we are truly and fully to refute such an objection. Someone might say that if we do not already have a striving to grow more perfect, anthroposophy will not move us to act more ethically. Yet, Delving deeper into the teachings of anthroposophy will show that we participate in the whole of humanity. Thus, immoral actions mean more than just doing something that might perhaps lead to our punishment. To think or act immorally is to do something nonsensical, something that cannot be reconciled with really sound or healthy thinking. An immoral action not only opens the way to some karmic punishment, but is, in the profoundest sense, an action that we ought not to commit. Let us imagine that someone commits a theft. 
and in consequence attracts a karmic retribution. If we wish to avoid this, we do not steal. But the whole thing is more complex than that. Let us ask ourselves what someone who lies or steals actually intends. The liar or thief wishes to gain some advantage. The liar may wish to avoid an unpleasant situation. Such an action only has any meaning if we actually gain some advantage from lying or stealing. If we were to recognize that this is mistaken, that it will not give us what we want, but on the contrary, that it will be to our disadvantage, then we would say it is nonsense to even think of doing such a thing. As anthroposophy becomes ever more part of human civilization, people will come to know that it is nonsensical, ridiculous, to believe that lies or stealing will get them what they think they might get by them. One thing in particular will become ever clearer to all people as they imbue themselves with anthroposophy. In a higher sense, from the perspective of higher causation, there is actually no such thing as separate human individualities. Alongside these separate individuals, the whole human race forms a unity. Increasingly, people will come to see that in terms of a true world outlook, the finger on our hand is actually more sensible than the whole human being, since it does not imagine itself to exist without the whole human organism to which it belongs. In its dull consciousness, the finger knows that it cannot exist without the rest of the organism. People, on the other hand, continually succumb to illusions. They think that the fact they are enclosed in their skins means they are separate. But they are so as little as the finger exists separately from the rest of the organism. The reason for this illusion is that a person can walk around on their own while the finger cannot. But our place on the earth is really the same as that of the finger on our hand. The sort of science that holds our earth to be a molten ball surrounded by a hard shell upon which we human beings wander about, that thinks this is enough to explain the earth, is at roughly the same level as a science that imagines human beings are nothing but their skeletal system and no more than that. What we see physically of the earth is really nothing more than what the skeletal system is for the human being. The rest of the earth is actually supersensible in nature. The earth is an organism, in fact, a living entity. If you imagine the human being as a living creature, you can picture the blood with its white and red corpuscles. These can only develop inside the whole human organism and be what they are there. What the red and white blood corpuscles are for the human being, we are for the earth organism. We certainly belong to this earth organism. We form a part of the whole living entity of the earth, and we only properly understand ourselves if we say that we are nothing as a single individual. We are only complete if we think of ourselves as part of the earth's body, of which we see only the skeleton, the physical mineral shell, unless we acknowledge the spiritual aspects of this earth organism. If an inflammatory process occurs in our human organism, the whole organism is seized by fever, by illness. If we transpose this to the earth organism, we can recognize the truth of what esotericism asserts. 
that an immoral action anywhere on the earth is the same for its whole organism as, say, a small abscess somewhere on the human body that makes the whole organism sick. In the same way, when someone steals something, the whole earth gets a kind of fever. This isn't just a metaphor, it has deep roots. The whole earth organism suffers from all immoral actions, and as single individuals we cannot do such an action without involving the whole earth organism, without sympathetic participation from it. This is a very simple idea, of course, but people find it hard to grasp. Those who don't believe it to be true will have to wait and see. We should try to impress such ideas upon our culture, to appeal with such ideas to the human heart, the human conscience. If immoral actions are done somewhere, they are a kind of abscess for the whole earth, make it sick. And experience could show that realizations of this kind would produce a powerful moral impetus. Moral sermons will never help us. Yet seeing the truth of what I have said would do more than increase our insight. If it really embedded itself in culture, if it impressed itself on the child's sensibility, it would also provide a huge moral impulse. Moral sermons never entirely persuade or reform people. As Schopenhauer said, preaching morality is easy, but establishing morality is hard. People have a certain antipathy to moral sermons. It calls forth an inner resistance from them when they think that someone else wants them to behave in a certain way, and they are just meant to go along with it. And such resistance will keep increasing as materialistic consciousness gains the upper hand. The idea current today that it is right to impose a, quote, class morality, close quote, upon another class, is one that has gained acceptance and will grow ever worse in future. At the same time, people increasingly feel that they themselves wish to discover the right thing to do in this realm, and that their desire for objective knowledge should lead them to it. The human individual seeks ever greater self-assertion. But to put it metaphorically, if the heart were to recognize that it will suffer illness when the whole organism to which it belongs falls ill, then this heart would do whatever is necessary to avoid such illness. And in the same way, when we recognize that we are embedded in the whole earth organism and that the earth body should not suffer from an abscess, then we will find an objective reason to be good. We will see that in stealing we seek to gain an advantage, but that we must refrain from this because it will make the whole earth organism sick, and without the earth organism we ourselves cannot survive. People will come to see that acting morally, therefore, not only benefits the whole organism, but also themselves. This is more or less how moral consciousness will gradually shape itself in future. Someone who draws moral impulses from anthroposophy will say that it is an illusion to think you will gain advantage from an immoral action. If you do this, you are like a squid that emits a cloud of dark fluid to envelop it, a dark aura of immoral impulses. Lying and stealing are the germs of an aura that will envelop you and will at the same time spread unhappiness through the world.
People say that we are surrounded by maya, illusion. But such truths must become living truths for us. Through anthroposophy we can show that humanity's moral evolution will, in future, encompass the realization that in trying to gain an advantage for ourselves alone, we shroud ourselves in an aura of illusions. Then the idea that the world is maya will become a practical truth and reality. The finger already knows this in its dull awareness, its sleeping, dreaming consciousness. It is clever enough to know that without the hand and the rest of the body it isn't really worth anything. It isn't a finger at all anymore. But human beings are not yet as clever as this. They have not yet accepted that they aren't anything really without the earth body. They need to realize it. The finger is ahead of the human being in this respect. It does not cut itself off. It does not say, I want to have the blood I contain for myself alone, so I will cut myself off from the flow. It is in harmony with the whole organism to which it belongs. But to find harmony with the whole earth organism, the human being must develop a higher consciousness. People are as yet unaware of this in the moral precepts they embrace today. They might say to themselves, if they wanted, we breathe in air. Just now this air was outside me. Now it is within my body. Something outer becomes inner. And if I breathe the air out again, something inner becomes outer. And the same is true of the whole human being. But it does not dawn on people that, sundered from the air they breathe, they are nothing. They must seek to develop an awareness, therefore, of how they are integrated into the whole earth organism. How can people recognize that they are a part of the whole earth organism? Anthroposophy enables them to become aware of it. It teaches that a Saturn condition first existed, then a Sun condition followed by a moon stage. The human being was always present in these conditions, albeit in a quite different form from today. Then the earth arose from the old moon condition and slowly human beings evolved as earthly beings. We can look back on a long evolution and in future further evolutionary stages await us. With the earth in its present form, we human beings evolved in our present form too. If we study anthroposophy and trace how the earth and the human being arose, it becomes apparent that we are indeed a part of the whole earth organism. Then we discover how earth and human beings gradually arose from spiritual existence, how the beings of the hierarchies formed the earth and the human being, how the latter belongs to the hierarchies, though standing at the lowest level. And then also, Anthroposophy teaches us about the being who stands at the midpoint of all earth evolution, the Christ as the great archetypal exemplar of human existence. And from all these anthroposophic teachings, we can come to see how our conduct must be, how we should act. Spiritual science shows us how we can feel ourselves to be a part of all life on earth. It shows us that Christ is the spirit of the earth. Our fingers, toes, nose, all our limbs have a dream sense that the heart supplies them with blood and that they would be nothing without this central organ. And anthroposophy teaches us that it would be terrible foolishness in earth's future evolution not to take up the idea of Christ, 
since he is for the earth body what the heart is for our organism. And just as our blood supplies the whole organism with life and vigor through the heart, so the being of Christ must pervade every single earth soul, so that the Pauline phrase, not I but Christ in me, becomes truth for them. The Christ must have entered all human hearts. And if someone were to say that they can exist and survive without Christ, they would be as foolish as it would be for eyes and ears to say they could survive without the heart. If there's a difference, it is this. The human heart must be present in us from the very beginning. Whereas the heart of our earth organism entered it only with the advent of Christ. But for all succeeding ages, this heart's blood of Christ must have entered all human hearts, and those who do not inwardly unite with Him will grow arid. Earth's evolution does not wait. It arrives at the point that it must. Only human beings can be left behind, and would be if they resist inward affirmation of Christ. In their last incarnation on earth, a number of human beings would then stand there and have failed to attain the goal, have failed to recognize Christ, have failed to embrace Christ feeling, Christ knowledge in their souls. They will not be mature enough to progress to higher stages of evolution and will sunder themselves from it. But whereas nose or ears would be destroyed entirely if they sundered themselves from the rest of the human organism, such human beings will not suffer a fate so extreme. Esoteric inquiry shows that those who do not wish to imbue themselves with the Christ element, the life of Christ, as anthroposophy makes possible, will have absorbed substances of decline and decomposition instead of progressing on into new stages of planetary existence. Initially, they will have to take different paths. Once human beings have absorbed the Christ into their perceptions, feelings, and into their whole souls over successive incarnations, the earth will fall away from these souls as a corpse lapses from the human being at death. The earth corpse will fall away, and what remains as Christ pervaded spirit and soul will develop into a new form of existence and reincarnate again on Jupiter. And what will happen to those who have not taken up Christ into themselves? Spiritual science will offer them plenty of opportunities to perceive and absorb Christ. While people today are still resistant, they will become ever less so. But if we assume that at the end of Earth's evolution there will be people who are still resistant to the Christ impulse, a number of human beings would remain who could not progress to the next planetary stage, who have failed to reach the real goal of earth existence. These people would greatly hamper the planet upon which the rest of humanity would continue to evolve, for they would not be able to coexist with the Jupiter condition as it is meant to be. They would be unable to experience the developments occurring there, and yet they would be present on Jupiter. Everything that later becomes material has first existed spiritually. Thus the immorality, the opposition to absorbing Christ, that people develop spiritually during the earth condition, first exists in the soul and spirit. But this will later be materialized 
It will surround and pervade Jupiter as a neighboring element. And this element will have issued from those human beings who did not integrate the Christ during earth evolution. The immorality and Christ resistance that is now developing in the soul will then have become material, fully physical. And whereas the physical nature of those who have absorbed Christ will have refined itself on Jupiter, the physical nature of these others will be substantially coarsened. Esoteric inquiry conjures before us a picture of the future of those human beings who have not achieved maturity during Earth's evolution. Today we breathe air. On Jupiter there will largely not be air, but the atmosphere there will consist of a substance that is finer, more ethereal than our air. People who have achieved the ends of Earth evolution will live in this element, while the others, those left behind, will have to breathe something like an unpleasantly hot boiling fire air, a sultry element containing unpleasant vapors. Thus those who failed to reach the goal of earth maturity will be a cross for the other Jupiter humans to bear, exerting a pestilent influence in the environment, in the swamps and the rest of the Jupiter soil. The fluid physical nature of these people's bodies will be comparable to a fluid that keeps hardening into solid, then inwardly freezes and congeals. Thus these beings will not only breathe this dire kind of air, but will have a bodily condition, such that their blood continually congeals instead of flowing. The physical body of these beings will be of a mucilaginous substance, nastier than the substances of our slugs and snails today. Endowed with these properties, they will secrete such substances like a kind of crust that surrounds them. These crusts will be softer than the skin of our snakes today. They will be a kind of soft, scaly hide. And these beings will live a somewhat distasteful life within the elements of Jupiter. Images like this, which the esoteric investigator discerns as a prefiguring of the future, appear gruesome. But woe betide us if, like the ostrich, we refuse to contemplate such a danger and close our eyes to the truth. For this is precisely what lulls us in error and illusion, whereas keen discernment of the truth gives us the greatest moral impulses. If people attend to what truth tells them, they will feel, when they lie, a picture arising in them of the effect of this lie upon human nature in the Jupiter condition, a sense that lies make you slimy, create a pestilential atmosphere for the future. And this ever-recurring picture will guide their soul impulses toward healing. You see, no one who knows the true consequences of immorality can actually be immoral. We should teach people the true effects of causes. Such guidance should already be given to children. Immorality exists only because people lack knowledge. Only the darkness of untruth makes immorality possible. Yet let us remember that such connections between immorality and ignorance must be wisdom not mere rationality. Intellectual knowledge alone compounds immorality, and even if it becomes subtle ingenuity, 
deceitfulness. Wisdom, on the other hand, acts upon the human soul so that truth and inmost morality emanate from it. My dear friends, it really is true to say that moral sermons are easily come by while actually establishing morality is hard. Establishing morality means doing so in wisdom, and wisdom is first necessary for this. You can see that Schopenhauer was absolutely correct when he coined this phrase. And so we can see how unfounded it is for people, who do not know anything really about spiritual science, to accuse it of being devoid of moral impulses. Anthroposophy shows us what we engender in the world when we fail to act morally. It offers wisdom from which morality itself issues. There is nothing more arrogant than saying we need only be good people and everything will be fine. We first have to know how to actually be a good person. Modern consciousness is very arrogant in rejecting all wisdom. True perception of the good requires us to delve deep into the mysteries of wisdom, and this is inconvenient, for it necessitates us learning a great deal. And so when people come and tell us that teachings about reincarnation and karma are the basis for egoism rather than morality, we can reply no. True spiritual science shows us that if we act immorally, this is roughly tantamount to taking a piece of paper to write a letter and then instead lighting a match and burning it. This would be grotesque and nonsensical, but this is what we do if we act wrongly or harbor an immoral outlook. For our true, deeper human nature, stealing signifies the same as lying. If we steal, we plant in ourselves the seed for the growth of a slimy, nasty substance in future, for the spreading of pestilential smells around us. Only by clinging to the illusion that the present moment is something intrinsically true and sufficient unto itself can we undertake such an action. By stealing, a person incorporates into themselves something that equates to a flaying of our human nature. And if we know this, we will be unable to commit immoral actions anymore. We will be unable to steal Just as a plant seed will sprout in future into a blossom, so spiritual science, if implanted in the human soul, will sprout into human blossoms, that is, human morality. Anthroposophy is the seed. The soul is the good soil for it. And morality is the blossom and fruit of the plant of the evolving human being. The end of Lecture 9